0: Lecture 7, Part 1 of The Endowments of Man by William Bernard Ullathorne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Lecture 7. On Evil and the Origin of Evil. Part 1. Thou art not a God that willeth iniquity. Psalm 5, verse 5. Knowledge becomes wisdom, when it reaches the heart and draws the will from evil to good. Next to the knowledge of God and of his gifts, there is no knowledge that clears the mind from so many delusions, solves so many of the mysteries of life, or more effectually helps us to the wise shaping of our conduct than that which gives us a clear insight into the origin and tendency of evil. To which we justly ascribe all our failures sufferings and miseries to search evil through with intelligence is like searching darkness through with light to sense and imagination darkness looks like something positive and even substantial but where light enters the darkness disappears and we see that it is nothing whatever but the absence of light that darkness is in fact but nothingness nevertheless as darkness seems to fill space and so presents an image to the imagination it is difficult for the intelligence to correct the error of the imagination and the more difficult because in our childhood when we live by imagination darkness is an occasion of terror which the age of reason and experience alone corrects the minds of a great many persons outside the christian faith are not unlike those of children in this respect that they mistake shadows for substances and materialize what has no material existence nor does culture always exempt them from this infirmity in what concerns the character of evil or the cause from which it springs this kind of error has been conspicuous in all ages among men who have not communion with god and such errors have been fostered not only through the predominance of imagination but also through the genius of language good is that which exists but evil is the negative of good and consequently it is the privation of existence but language is always affirmative in its form it affirms that which is not as well as that which is and the habit of affirming negations gives to that which does not exist a semblance of existence we not only speak but think in language and this often deceives those minds that rest more on the forms of language than on their internal clearness of thought we do not express a denial of existence by the simple term not which would be a pure denial of existence but we say it is not which affirms the negative as though that negative had some kind of existence. Clear thought alone corrects this infirmity of language. This form, however, is not so apt to mislead careless or defective thinkers so much as those positive terms which express things without substantial existence in substantives. For example, we use the term shadow, And imagine it to have an existence, although it is only the absence of light. We imagine hunger to have a real existence, although it is only the want of food. Thus we assign the inconvenience we suffer from the absence of light to some positive cause in the darkness, as we assign the pangs arising from want of food to some positive cause in our hunger which is a mere negation. In like manner we confound the pains and sufferings brought on us by evil with the evil itself, although that evil is nothing but the privation of good, but of a good due to our nature of which we have deprived ourselves. This habit of affirming the existence of evil as though it were some positive thing and the further habit of confusing the pains and sufferings that follow upon evil with the evil itself are the causes that have so often led to the notion that evil is either some substantial thing or some quality or power in the creation this substantiating of evil which is a mere product of the imagination has given rise to many false philosophies as well as heresies, upholding the idea that evil has an external existence and has either had a divine creator or is something evolved from the creation. How men came to mistake evil for something substantial has been well explained by st athanasius in the following passage of his great oration against the gentiles it has become needful he says to clear up this idle opinion with the truth of ecclesiastical doctrine which holds that evil is neither from god nor in god nor was it from the beginning nor is there any nature of evil but as men withdrew from the contemplation of good they began to imagine and to devise to themselves according to their will such things as were not whilst the sun is shining and lighting the earth a man may close his eyes and think he is surrounded with darkness even when all is lightsome but he walks in his imaginary darkness and stumbles, and encounters rocks and rough places, fancying he has no light but is surrounded by darkness, and imagining he is using his eyes, though he sees nothing. In like manner, when the human soul closes those eyes wherewith God may be seen, she fashions evils to herself, and whilst she moves among them, she imagines she is doing something and is ignorant that she is doing nothing for the things she imagines have no real existence as she has not persevered in that condition in which she was created she appears in that state into which she has degraded herself for she was created to see god and to be enlightened by him but instead of god she has gone in quest of uncertain things and of darkness. As the scripture says, God made man right, and he hath entangled himself in an infinitude of questions. St. Athanasius here points to three causes that cooperate in bringing man to evil and leading him to mistake it for good. First, in turning his mind from God, he exchanges light for obscurity, and mistakes that obscurity for light. Secondly, he projects his imagination into that obscurity, fancying things to be there that are not there. Thirdly, in its absence from truth and good, his will is predisposed to accept that for truth and good, which is only imaginary thus error which is nothing is mistaken for truth which is the light of things thus evil is mistaken for good although it is nothing but defection from good error and evil are so closely allied that he who does an evil is said to commit an error but the error is commonly as much the fault of the will as the evil which follows the error error is the corruption of truth as evil is the corruption of good in error we take imaginary for actual truth as in evil we take imaginary for real good but in both cases it is the will that is in fault for in the first case it is the will that accepts and gives its assent to an image of the imagination or to an opinion as though it were the truth in its clear evidence and in the second case the will gives itself to imaginary good as though it were the real good that perfects our nature from this it follows that the created will is the author of evil to a mind endowed with faith and humility the origin of evil presents no difficulty Faith opens the mind to divine principles, and humility puts that mind in the just point of view for apprehending their application. When the soul thinks in the light of God, and realizes to herself his supreme and absolute perfection, and then considers how evil is opposed to that perfection, the very possibility of God being the author or the cause of evil must vanish from the mind as an inconceivable absurdity. Even the natural reason of man, when freed from fancies and prejudgments, that is, when exercised in its own clearness, must bring us to the same conclusion. For you cannot think of God as the author of evil without first thinking of him as less than God. When we come to consider what it is that inclines the will to accept imaginary for real good, and again what it is that inclines men to invent false and plausible theories of the origin of evil, we are brought to the very roots of our weak and selfish nature. The first cause is to be found in the weakness of the creature, made from nothing, and when not resting on god for support inclined by nature to its native nothingness the second is the self-love of the natural will inclining the soul to inferior things over which she can hold sway instead of to those superior things to which she must be subject as being herself inferior to them these two defects explain the origin of human evil. But when we come to explain the false theories on the origin of evil, we must add a third cause, and that is the pride that springs from self-love, and which generates in the soul a false and imaginary estimation of herself, which inclines her to ascribe to herself the good she does, or imagine she does, and to some other cause the evil that she suffers from it is not difficult to find examples of this temper who has not known persons who are always in trouble but never in the wrong such persons are proud sensitive suspicious and irritable they have a great sense of evil because they suffer much but they never see the cause of evil in themselves it is always in someone else they do wrong-headed things but never know or never admit that they are wrong-headed as their best friends have been the most active in their interests they generally imagine them to be the cause of their chief sufferings but those who look on with calm eyes see clearly that the evil is in themselves and that the root of it is pride pride blinds the mind to the errors and the evils which it works in its possessor but there have been giants of pride with great intellects that pride has greatly perverted with strong imagination and an oppressive sense of the evils from which they suffer yet blinded with the notion of their own excellence and flattered in that notion by their admirers in their ignorance of themselves these giants of pride will naturally ascribe the origin of evil from which they suffer to another cause than themselves and to a greater rather than to a lesser cause than themselves hence arose the theories that ascribe the cause of evil to a first principle of evil or to some evil divinity who mingles his evil work with the good works of the god supremely good whether these theories first originated in bactria in chaldea in india or in persia they pervaded the religious philosophies of all those countries and were rife in Persia when Christianity began to spread in the world, as well as other doctrines equally wild and fantastic, such as that of the origin of darkness, and that of the delusive nature of the material creation. But the disciples of these doctrines attempted to combine them with the Christian faith and from this mixture arose the most monstrous sects that the church has had to contend with, from the early Gnostics with their endless diversities to the successive forms of the Manichaean heresy. As error is the corruption of truth, and as the long-delivered traditions of mankind are especially open to corruption were not divinely protected, we may glance for a moment at those early traditions of truth that may have been warped and perverted into supporting the doctrine of an evil principle or deity the creation of the angels and the fall of a part of them into evil might be easily perverted into an emanation of good and evil divinities from the profundity of one first principle as the fall of satan and his perversion of man brought evil into the world this great tradition again might be easily perverted under certain conditions of mind into an evil principle or a divine author of evil when the imagination of man is once taken hold of by the pantheistic fancy it is marvellous what it is capable of imagining and then assuming to be in real existence for example the gnostics imagined such abstract notions as elevation and profundity into real divinities and the pagans gave a special divinity to every visible object however vile such is the force which imagination may acquire when it is allowed to rule the light of intelligence if from the outward we turn to the inward causes of these fearful errors we need go no further than those gloomy imaginations stimulated by intellectual pride in men oppressed by a burdensome sense of evil who look everywhere except within themselves for the evil cause of their sufferings and who could not be more flattered than by ascribing their evils to an evil creator or to some principle of evil beyond their power some kind of fatalism beyond the power of the sufferer to remedy has always had an attraction for gloomy minds that love to brood over their miseries nor do such minds want a prompter in the enemy of man not to speak of the power of evil spirits over self-absorbed and brooding melancholy THE TEMPTER OF MANKIND HAS A SINGULAR INTEREST IN DOCTRINES LIKE THESE. IT WAS IN AIMING AT SELF-DEIFICATION THAT SATAN AND HIS ANGELS FELL FROM GOOD TO EVIL, AND THEIR WORK IS TO PROMPT TO PRIDE, AND TO THE ERRORS THAT FOSTER PRIDE IN HUMAN SOULS. ESPECIALLY ARE THEY INTERESTED IN ERRORS THAT SEEM TO JUSTIFY EVIL, When Satan comes upon a soul filled with pride like himself, oppressed with the evils that come of pride, blinded through its influence from all true insight into herself, and looking everywhere for the cause of her miseries except within herself, Satan has only to present himself to the imagination in some secret way as the author of evil to obtain that deification which he failed to win by his apostasy from god since he first compassed the fall of man he has obtained two great victories over large portions of the human race the one has been to get himself deified as the author of evil the other has been to get his very existence denied as the tempter of man to evil in various shapes and under various designations the doctrine of the origin of evil from an evil principle vexed the church of god in sect after sect from her earliest period until the fourteenth century perhaps even now the doctrine is secretly maintained in some form or other among sects and societies opposed to the church It would seem as if Satan was ever ambitious of having a church of his own by the side of God's church, where he may receive homage as the principle of evil, in rivalry with the worship of God. Yet the older philosophies and heresies kept themselves clear of ascribing the authorship of evil to the one God supremely good it was left to the early reformers to originate the blasphemous doctrine that the one true God is the author of evil. It followed their denial of human free will as a matter of course, their contention that the evil of sin, as Luther maintained, was of the very nature of fallen man, or that, as was generally maintained by the early reformers, it was something inherent in fallen human nature which is not removed but covered by the justification of christ betrays the grossest ignorance of the negative character of evil these errors most seriously affect their whole teaching as it respects the relations of man with god the doctrine of the church as opposed to these fundamental errors Is expressed in the creed of eugenius the fourth for the jacobites in the following terms the holy roman catholic church founded by the voice of our lord and savior most firmly believes professes and teaches that the one true god father son and holy ghost is the creator of all things visible and invisible who by his goodness made all things when he willed, both spiritual and corporal, they are indeed good, because they are made by the supreme good, but they are changeable, because they are made from nothing. And she asserts that there is no nature of evil, because every nature, in so far as it is nature, is good. Whatever is not God must be limited in its nature. There can only be one infinite, eternal, full and complete being, one supreme good that is perfect in every kind of goodness. To suppose the contrary is to put limits to that supreme good and to leave nothing unlimited, not even God himself. There cannot be another infinite communication of good beyond that of the three persons in the one life and substance of god beyond that divine and internal communication of good the sphere of limited good alone remains possible the plan of creation is eternal in the mind of god and in that plan is the inevitable law of limitation and of succession in time which is one of the modes of limitation It is not therefore the substance but the divine plan of the created universe which is eternal the will of the almighty is the first principle of power and the cause of all created power even the power of the human will is of god although man has the free use of that power god created all things good Each according to its kind, degree, and measure. He pronounced each order of creation to be good, and after the whole creation was completed, he proclaimed it to be very good, thereby affirming that there was nothing evil in his works. Each particular creature is good as far as it exists, and in the measure in which it exists, it is good of its kind each creature then has more or less of good as it is nearer to or farther from god in resemblance or shadow of resemblance to god who gives substance and form to all good an intelligent spirit with a will that is the free cause of her own acts and that is pure and beautiful is a very great good because she is not only in the likeness of God, but she receives a divine good from him. A grain of earth, which has but a rudimental existence of which it is unconscious, has no resemblance beyond that rudimental existence. Yet even that grain of earth is good, and is endowed with capacity for greater good. It may become part of the organisation of a plant and may ultimately become a portion of some human body, animated and ruled by a living soul. Every creature is good in two ways, in what it is already, and in its capacity of becoming better by the addition of greater good. We shall never understand how much evil is opposed to good, unless we take into account not only the actual good that evil destroys but also the greater good which evil prevents the creature from receiving the making of each creature is but the beginning of its good then it increases by the addition of more good and god has provided one good for another with inexhaustible profusion the law of constant augmenting and ascending good Is the law of God's providence. Even the decay of the mortal part of man enters into this law of augmenting good, because it removes obstacles to the enriching of the immortal part. This law of augmenting good reaches its highest fulfilment whenever a creature is united to the greatest good of which it is capable. End of Lecture 7, Part 1